Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery, our true crime podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Heather, and I know absolutely nothing about true crime. And my name is Jillian, and I consider myself somewhat of a true crime expert. Yes, Jill is our resident true crime expert. And we created this podcast so that Jill could teach me about all things true crime, both locally and nationally, and to take you guys along for the journey, so that if you too know nothing about true crime, you can learn something. Or maybe hear another perspective about stories you already know. So this case takes place in the late 1970s in Lucas, Texas, which is about half an hour from Dallas. At the time, Texas. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Dallas. I don't know where that is. It's, well, it said, I don't know, Texas is weird because when I Google mapped it, it said that it would be like 32 minutes one way, but then it would be like an hour and something the other way. But there was like multiple routes to get to it, but. Lucas, Texas is northeast and I am normally southwest. So the opposite sides. Yes. So, kind of makes sense why. I, I mean, I'm not an expert by any means, but... Heather loves Texas. I love the people in Texas. <laughs> I do love Texas, too, but I love the people in Texas. That's why I'm there. Well, I don't I don't know many people, but I'm sure they're all lovely. We're going to maybe go to a crime convention there. I forgot about all of that. <laughs> or a true crime podcast convention, I mean. Yeah, that's coming up, too, isn't it? I think it's in August. August, yeah. So, um... At the time, Lucas was beginning to grow with more rich people from Dallas moving and, like, fleeing the city life, um, but it was still considered a pretty small town. Back then, the standard usually was that the wife would stay home with the children to cook and clean while the husband went off to support the family at work or whatever. Uh, This resulted in the wives being bored a lot at home, which, don't get me wrong, I love having the rights to vote, but, like... I would love that. It would just sound so nice. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. I made the wrong choices in life. Right. I went to grad school. Like, be bored or have a mental breakdown at work every day. Like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> it seems like an easy choice to me. But that was the standard um, back then. Or I guess the norm. I don't even know. It was what most people back then um, did with their lives. Lucky them. So, um... Anyway, a lot of the women would be heavily involved in their kids' school stuff, like after-school activities, and a lot would get heavily involved in their church because they had a lot of free time. Um, Specifically, in Lucas, Texas, many were involved and attended the First Methodist Church of Lucas, which is where our story begins, as this is where the Montgomery and the Gore family met. Starting off, we'll discuss the Montgomery family. This family consisted of husband Pat wife Candy, and their two kids, a son and a daughter. The Montgomerys moved to the area in 1977, and Pat uh, had a job at Texas Instrument, which is a tech company most popular for their expensive fancy calculators. Mm-hmm. There's one inside this desk. Really? Like yeah. the, the fancy one or like the high school one? I think the I still have the high school one. Darian has a fancy one somewhere, but I'm not sure where it is. I had to when I told I, him we didn't need it anymore, and I think he decided he did need it. I don't remember exactly why. They were going to try to make me buy one, but luckily, like, there was an app that was just, like, a couple dollars mm-hmm. that they said that we could use, because they're, like, a couple hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, Darian is an engineer, so they do lots of mathy things. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need that. Right. 
I use my phone calculator. Me too. <laughs> Even for like stupid, simple math that I should definitely be able to do in my head, I still use my calculator a lot. Listen, if I'm not using my calculator, I'm counting on my hands and toes and that's way more embarrassing. So I just use the phone <laughs> calculator. <laughs> Uh, this is coming from an account. Could you imagine, like, poking your toes out of your shoes, <laughs> yeah, like, like Spongebob style on the driver's exam one? I'm just sitting just, like, poking your toes out so you can count them. On, like, the phone with a client, and they're asking me about their finances, and I'm like, I don't know, let me take my shoes off so I can count <laughs> your money. <laughs> okay, so, um, but Pat made pretty good money here, um, or at the time, it was around $70,000 a year which in today's money would be about $333,954.29, which, thanks to lovely Heather's research last week, we now know that that would make them top of the upper middle class. Exactly. So they were, I mean, they were doing pretty good for themselves. Yeah. Um, their marriage was fine and dandy, having everything that they needed provided with ease, but Candy was, quote, bored crazy, end quote. Then find something to do, Candy. There well, are things. Like, read a book. She well Cook new recipes. Yeah, there are things to do. Yeah, but she, Candy specifically, um, grew up moving around a lot because her father was a radar technician in the army. Mm-hmm. But she was said to be extremely independent at a young age and moved out on her own right after graduating from high school. Before meeting Pat, she worked as a secretary, but had a dream to become a housewife and a stay-at-home mom. Mood. As she was considered decently attractive back then, she knew she could make that happen. She met many men, but they didn't really meet her criteria, aka they were poor. Um, This was until she met Pat, who was already working at Texas Instrument, like I said, and he was destined for success. Like, they said that he was, like, the youngest, like, most capable engineer there or something. I don't know. Um, Pat really didn't meet her criteria, as she said that he was too introverted and kind of ugly, but How rude. money was a priority, so she just went with it, and he proposed, and she was like, well, this is as good as it's going to get for now, so they got married, um, had wow. their two kids. I know. I would be highly offended. I hope he doesn't know that she said he was kind of ugly. Well, if he didn't, then he does now. So that. Yeah. Um, but they had their kids and purchased their dream home in Lucas, Texas. Uh, as for the Gore family... It consisted of husband Alan and wife Betty. Betty was said to be popular as a child growing up. She was involved in a lot of sports and uh, extracurricular activities. But when she grew up, she wanted to be a teacher, and she made that a reality. While Alan worked in the communications field, Betty worked as a teacher at a grammar school. This was until they had a daughter. Then Betty became a stay-at-home mom, who unfortunately was suffering after the birth of her daughter. It is most likely that she was suffering from postpartum depression. However, back then, I don't believe that it was widely acknowledged. And from what I read, doctors didn't really help Betty. They just randomly threw Valium at her at times, thinking that would fix everything. Which it didn't. And we now, thankfully, know postpartum is a real thing. And doctors treat it and don't just throw drugs at people all the time. Um, but Betty had a hard time coping, and I'm sure the lifestyle change from working to being a stay-at-home mom didn't help either. Later on, they had another daughter, and Betty's depression only got significantly worse with this child. She basically blocked out the world, including her husband, Alan. It is noted their physical relationship suffered from this as well. But back to how the two couples correlate. Like I said, they went to the same church, and this is where Candy and Betty's friendship began. 
Both Candy and Betty sang in the church choir, and their daughters were close in age, and when their daughters became best friends, Betty and Candy's friendship grew even more. That was until Friday, June 13th, Friday the 13th, of... Spooky. Right. uh, 1980, when Alan was on a business trip in Minnesota and couldn't get a hold of Betty. Alan was starting to worry, so around 11 p.m., he called Richard Parker, who was his neighbor, and asked him to check on Betty. This was when Richard, along with another neighbor named Lester Gaylor, went over. They knocked on the door with no answer and then entered the Gore residence. This is when they went down a hallway and found Alan and Betty's youngest child in the crib crying. Still no sign of Betty. That is when they noticed a trail of blood and followed it to find Betty's body in the utility room with what appeared to be a gunshot blast to the head. Jeez. Yeah. Police were called and... When they arrived on scene, they noticed a couple of feet away from Betty's body, there was a three-foot axe. It was apparent that the killer attempted to clean up the crime scene, but because of the amount of blood, they gave up. There was also a bloody shoe print in the laundry room and a bloody thumbprint on the freezer. The killer also took a shower in the home as there was blood in the bathroom and down the drain. A pot of burnt coffee showed that Betty was murdered sometime in that morning, which I don't know if it was the time. Because my parents drank coffee all day long, so. Yeah. I, yeah, but um, autopsy later confirmed that Betty's cause of death was not a gunshot, but rather that she had been hit with the axe 41 times. What? Yeah. It was so bad that they thought she had been hit with, like, shot with a shotgun. Oh, okay. I was thinking she'd been hit with the axe and then shot, which seemed very odd, but... You're saying there was no gunshot. It right. was just that it looked that way. Yeah, because of like the brutality of it, it it appeared when the neighbors went the in. Exit wound. I see that they thought like, which I don't. Gosh. It's not like they went up to the body and like right. you know. But um, she had been struck on her body, arms, legs, torso, and twenty eight of the strikes were to her face and head. Because of the brutality of the attack. Police thought that Betty's attacker was someone that she knew rather than a random attack. Per usual, Alan was the first suspect as he is the husband, but he was out of state. They tried to say he possibly murdered her before flying out, but that didn't add up either. His shoe size didn't match the one on the crime scene either. Police determined that they were looking for someone small, possibly a child or a woman. Miss Candy. Mm-hmm. This was when a five-year-old neighbor, who was friends with Alan and Betty's daughter, came forward. She went to police and said that she had been to the house the day of the murder. She said that she knocked on the door, but no one answered. She also said that around 11 a.m., she saw Candy Montgomery leaving Betty's house. It seemed, I mean, she said she was bored. Yeah. Well, like, she gets a lot more bored. Okay. Well, kind of. (laughs) She, hang on. Um, We're going to keep going, I guess. Yeah. So this was when police decided to bring Candy in for questioning. Candy said she had no involvement in Betty's murder, but admitted to being at her house the morning of because, as she explained, she went to get a swimsuit for Betty's daughter who had spent the night prior at the Montgomery's. She said that after she got the swimsuit, she went back to church to teach a Bible lesson. And on June 16th of 1980, Betty was laid to rest. After the funeral, like a couple hours after, police questioned Alan again, and he told investigators that his marriage was fine, but he said that they did get into a fight right before he left for his work trip. 
He said it was because Betty was scared that she might be pregnant again. And that was the end of it until the next morning. Alan then the next morning called the investigators to inform them that most of the last year he had been engaging in an affair with none other than Candy Montgomery. You're joking. Mm-mm. She was so bored. So she definitely killed her. As mentioned before, Candy was bored in her marriage and decided to have an affair. And quite literally, running into Alan while at a church volleyball game, they apparently tried to make a play at the same time and like bumped into each other. I don't know, but that's when she decided that he was the one and straight up asked him after the game at the church thing um, if he would be interested in having an affair with her. What an interesting proposal. Yeah. Um, he very agreed. straightforward. Like, very, like, weirdly straight. Would you like to have an affair? That's, like, <laughs> I don't think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know I your wife is my best friend, but would you like to have an affair? Exactly. And, like, I don't know much about having an affair, but I don't think that they usually start off like that. Especially not in the church volleyball court. Right, right. Uh, it's just messed up. But um, Alan did agree, as he said he was not being satisfied sexually in his marriage, because, you know, his wife Sorry, was, your wife is depressed. Exactly. And has no help. That makes... I'm sorry. That's disgusting. Like, I'm... Maybe you should be focusing on getting her help rather than being worried about your own personal selfish needs. But neither of them wanted a divorce, of course. So they planned a no-strings-attached affair and met at a motel every other week. The two decided that if they caught feels, they would break it off. Soon after, Alan and Betty started attending a couple's retreat, kind of like the thing that we just had at our church was, was like meetings and not even necessarily like troubled couples, but like meetings to go if you're troubled, but also like to strengthen people's relationships. So they started going to that and apparently it worked because soon after that, Alan broke off the affair. After finding out this information, police went back to Candy for more questioning and though she, again, denied any involvement, she also denied the polygraph test they requested. Um, but luckily, they had the fingerprint and the footprint, and that was enough for police. And on June 27th of 1980, Candy Montgomery was arrested and charged with the murder of Betty Gore. Jeez. Mm, it doesn't end there. What? During her intake into prison, they noted multiple bruises and a cut on Candy's toe, acknowledging that there was a struggle. In October, when the trial actually began, they kind of switched things around. Um, Candy no longer tried to say that she had no involvement, but instead switched to self-defense. She I'm said, sorry, you can't self-defense 41 times. Well, she said that the reason it was 41 times, apparently they brought this, like, psychologist in, and they hypnotized Candy, and um, they said that the reason that she did that was because when she was a child... Her mother shushed her while, like, having something sharp or something, and it traumatized her. So when Betty allegedly shushed uh, Candy, it caused her to snap and disassociate and, like, freak out on her. That was what they were alleging. Um, Interesting theory. Yeah. Apparently, how this all started was when she went to get the swimsuit for Betty's daughter, um, Betty had confronted her about having an affair and then that's when the attack happened. Um, she said that Betty came after her with an axe. Right. Um, and that's how she got the cut on her toe. But she said her and Betty fought over the axe and that Candy had gotten it and knocked Betty to the ground. 
but Betty was still trying to attack her, so she had no choice but to swing and, quote, defend herself, end quote. Um, That's why you tried to clean up the crime scene and why you showered in their house. Right. And didn't call the police. And, and left her child there. Exactly. Completely unattended. All day. Mm-hmm. And it was a one-year-old. Yeah. So. All self-defense, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. But the psychologist testified, you know, and I know mental health is a real thing. And I know. Oh, yeah. You know, disassociating. I just don't necessarily believe it in this case. So, um, but, you know, unfortunately, after four hours, the jury did believe it and decided that her story checked out and she was acquitted of all charges. What? Yeah. And. That seems crazy. Yeah. Which, I mean, to me, like, I'm just like, okay, well, she still killed somebody. Like, brutally. Yes. But, and... Who's to say someone's not going to shush her when she has scissors in her hand? And she tempered with a crime scene, which should be a crime in itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a crime in itself. Yes. And, like, leaving the crime scene. And lied to the police. Exactly. So, all of these are... I don't understand. Yeah. I I don't know. But, um, that's really the end of the case. After the trial, Candy and Pat moved to Georgia with their kids, where they soon divorced, and Candy changed her name. And now works with her daughter as a mental health therapist. You're joking. I wish I was. Um, that is, this is, this is one of the craziest stories you've ever told me. Yeah. I'm like utterly shocked. I don't understand how she got away with that. I, there's a, the reason I chose this is because I just watched, there's, I believe it's on Netflix or Hulu. I can't remember, but it's a docu-series called Candy where Jessica Biel plays her and we watched it. And it's a couple episodes. And at the end, when they were like, eh, she's acquitted, I was like, no way. This didn't actually happen. And I looked it up and it actually happened. Um, with that being said, though, I do want to say that I... Was she, like, sentenced to, like, mental health help or, like, no. any... She just left and was like... I'm shocked. I mean, like, if if she did have to go a mandate... This is the, the 80s, so I'm not, you know, I don't know how keen they were on mental health. But if she was forced to do that as some sort of punishment it was not noted in anything that i read wow um but i, I just will don't say, understand how you say my issue is mental health and they say oh yeah your issue is mental health but you can go home yeah just try not to kill anybody else i and you know i don't want to say oh for sure like they didn't do anything like that but nothing that i read said that they did yeah and i would assume that they probably would have made note right and i do want to say you know I, I, some, a lot of people, I assume, have watched the, um, TV show, and I'm a little disappointed in how, um, they portrayed Betty in the TV show. Uh, they kind of, like, made her out to be, like, I mean, like, I understand she was suffering from postpartum depression, but they kind of made her out to be, like, not the nicest person in the world. Um, like, in the scene where she was teaching, they made her out to where she was, like, snapping at all the students and, like, having a mental breakdown in class. And I did look up and found one of her old students on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he was like, don't get me wrong, like, she was stern at times, but she was also lax and super nice and a lovely, wonderful teacher that I will never forget. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but she was not portrayed like that in the TV show. So that kind of is, like, upsetting and I'm sure very upsetting, you know, for her family, too, and I'm not saying even that the TV show, I mean, it portrayed it candy enough for me to be absolutely flabbergasted that she was d- acquitted at the end. 
But like, I just, from what I read, that wasn't a very fair representation of who Betty Gore was. Yeah. Um, as for her daughters, after their mother's murder, Alan lost custody of the two, and they were raised in Betty's hometown in Kansas by their grandparents, which were Betty's parents. Why did he lose custody? It didn't say why he lost custody. Um, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I don't know if it's because, like, they kind of, I mean... I don't, I don't want to say that if he didn't have an affair, his wife wouldn't be dead, but, I mean, I feel like he played a role in that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I Which don't know. I, I don't know if you can get your kids taken away for having an affair, but then then again, this is the, the 80s, so I don't know. I have no idea. I, don't I was know just what, curious if it said. Yeah, from what I see, from what I saw, it didn't, like, go into specifics of why, but um, Betty's oldest daughter attended college to study accounting and is now married and has two kids. And Betty's youngest daughter, who was just a baby at the time, became a teacher like her mother. Aww. And she now works as an, as an assistant principal. Very cool. She's married and has three children, one of whom was born on Betty's birthday, and one who is named after Betty. It is unclear that what their current relationship with their father is at this time. They interact with each other on Facebook. Um, that doesn't always mean that it's the yeah. best relationship ever. Yeah. But we do know that once the trial was over, Alan left the state, um, after he had lost custody and he remarried, then divorced again, and now lives with his current girlfriend in Florida. Okay. Good for Alan, I guess. Yeah. It was a, it was a ride. It was a crazy ride. Yeah. He's had a life. He's lived a life. Um, there's been a couple of like TV stuff. I've only watched the one called Candy. Um, but back in the 90s, they had a movie based off of it called A Killing in a Small Town. Um, and then they, there's like two docu-series now. One is Candy, the other one is Love and Death, which I haven't watched. And then there's also an Oxygen Snapped episode on her. So, if you would like more information. Um, I I think it's cool that you watched the show. Yeah, and that's, like... Because you can tell us about, like, what really happened and then how it was portrayed in the show. Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of things that... And one of the um, references literally is, like, um, if af- it's for after you watch it and it's, like, um, did they really have an affair? Yes, they really had an affair. Did did this add up in the... Was this really how it was in real life in the TV show, like, comparing it? Mm-hmm. And I will say that the actors and actresses that they had to portray them, like... Matched up very well. Hmm. Like, they looked a lot alike. Wow. Um, Jessica Biel plays Candy. I'll show you pictures after. But. Okay. Yeah, so that was um, the unfortunate case of Betty Gore. That is an unfathomable story. <laughs> that, I mean, her, Candy's story does not make sense to me that she would just attack her with an axe in the laundry room. Utility room, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think you hit someone 41 times in self-defense, even if your mom yelled at you when you were a kid with a sharp object in your hand. I just don't think that makes sense to me. I just, I mean, I don't really think hypnosis is a um, reliable source. Yeah, especially in the courtroom, which kind of like throws me off. Um, you know, I don't know. Also, she just denied it and denied it until they found that, like, 
oh, you have my fingerprint? Oh, okay, well, I actually did it, but let me change my entire story. Yes. You know. That's very sketchy to me. Yeah. And like you said, there were many other crimes committed. Oh, right. Like, even if you want to say, oh, well, we'll forgive you for the murder since it was because you were traumatized as a child. What about... Like, messing with the crime scene and trying to prevent police from completing their investigation right. and lying to the police to their face. Yeah. What about all of that? Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like, and, you know, along with, I, I saw where Betty's family, you know, obviously is like, hey, like, this is like an injustice. Like, mm-hmm. you're letting her killer, like, go free. Yeah. She literally lost her life. Exactly. In the most brutal way possible. Oh, yeah. And... I just, I don't know. I I think it's like an entirely messed up situation. And I I just feel, I feel so bad for her kids, especially, you know, and I don't know if they knew that she, I don't know if they'd ever found out if she was pregnant, if they took a pregnancy test or what, but like, that should be like, you know, double homicide, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just very, very sad. And I mean, it sounds like, Alan is living his best life in Florida, but I... I don't know if he's living his best life, but yes. Well, you know, it sounds like he's had trouble having love afterwards. And in the movie, it, I don't know if that actually happened, but in the movie, it, like, said that he had married somebody else from their church. Hmm. And I was, like, trying to come over, and don't take my word for that, but, like, was coming over to, like, help because he literally, like, didn't know how to change a diaper, didn't know how to cook dinner, like, because... I'm sure... Didn't I, know how to, I think maybe that, that was normal at the time. That might have also been why he could have lost custody. Oh, could be, yeah. Because he didn't know how to... And it's a, it's a one-year-old baby. Very unfortunate case, but... Yeah. I think if that had happened today, the outcome would have been really different. Because even if she pled, like, insanity or whatever, she probably still would have gone to an institution exactly. of some sort. Yeah. To get her the help that she needed. Or they would have determined that she was not out of her mind at the time. You know what I mean? Right. I think it would have happened very differently if it had happened today. Oh, I I agree 100%. Well, thank you very much for sharing the story and telling us about the TV show. I think it's really cool that we got to hear about both. I actually really like that. Um, If you want to keep listening to our podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you haven't already, please follow us on all of our social media platforms. We have Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, all of which you can find us under Murder and Misery. And we will catch you back here next week with another episode. All right, bye. Bye.